weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to Africa and Andrew for driving us through the afternoon. It is Tuesday, October 24th, and you're listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Kevin Doyle, Alan Colley and Mark Langdon will be chatting football ahead of a big night of Champions League action. And we'll get the latest from Kevin on Wexford FC's new link with English League One side, Reading. Well, rugby is in the international lose at the moment, and Warren Rugby took the opportunity to announce a new international tournament and the expansion of the Rugby World Cup to 24 teams. Michael Corcoran will tell us more on that and he also, more interestingly, caught up with all-black legend Dan Carter earlier today. Later in the show, we'll speak to Porrick Mahoney, who's the former Waterford hurler, but his focus is now firmly on another AIB All-Ireland Championship with Bally Gunner. Game on on 2FM. I forgot the last line of the intro. If you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552 or message us on X at Game2FM. Sorry about that, Shane. It's all good. I jumped the gun, Ruby. Got too excited no, because didn't. Michael Corcoran you just... Ba- you bailed me out there. I did. I did, I did. Michael Corcoran just walked into the studio and I said, you know what, let's just... let's." People know the text line, 51552. Get us on, on the social media platform, X, because Michael Corcoran is here. Michael, we are going to chat rugby, but there are two ongoing Champions League matches at the moment, just to update our listeners uh, with the score. Galatasaray and Bayern Munich of course in Manchester United's group um, Bayern Munich hold a 1-0 lead after 20 minutes played in Turkey Kingsley Coman with an 8 minute goal there and then in group D Inter are 1-up at home to FC Salzburg Sanchez with a goal just a minute ago actually so 1-0 in both of those matches there however Ruby did allude to some big rugby news and a big rugby interview with Dan Carter as well, which we will be getting to in due course. But, Michael, I'd be doing it at this service to try and explain what's happened here. So, uh, an expanded World Cup, uh, a Nations League of sorts as well. What's the story, Michael Corcoran? Well, for a long, long time, um, World Rugby and the the sort of top the top level of teams, you know, that the teams who play uh, rugby worldwide have been trying to uh, align calendars and get everybody singing off the same hymn sheet when it came to, um, you know, international competition and international tournaments and everything like that and have a more streamlined approach to um, everything. It's been ongoing for a hell of a long time and, um, you know, there have been previous attempts um, and they have finally got their act together and announced in Paris uh, this afternoon that... There'll be a new Nations Championship, I think they're going to call it. I'm not sure if that's the final title, but it's a working title at the moment anyway, uh, which will take place every two years from 2026. Now, you might say, why every two years? Well, the intervening years will have either a British and Irish Lions Tour or a Rugby World Cup. So when when it starts in 2026... You know, without jumping, I hate t- talking about all these years so far ahead. Luckers, like as if we're running away with our lives. To mm. be fair about it, so the World Cup will be twenty twenty seven, Nations Championship begin in twenty twenty eight, and then, um, uh, you know, British and Irish Lions tour yeah. potentially after that then too as well. So what's going to happen? Like it, it's taken a lot of a lot of people a lot of time to drag everybody kicking and screaming to the table and finally agree all of this because, like, there's two divisions of um, 12 teams. There's 24 people with completely different interests altogether. So there has to be a bit of give and take between everybody. Uh, So the first uh, division of the inaugural one in 2026 will be the six teams from the Six Nations Championship, Mm. the four teams from what's now the Rugby Championship, South Africa, New Zealand, 
um, Argentina and Australia, Australia yeah. um, plus two other teams who haven't been confirmed yet. So kind of going on today's reckoning, you know, based on maybe the last, uh, this current, current Rugby World Cup that we're still playing, um, it, it would probably be the likes of Fiji and Japan and everybody else then would be in the second division. So obviously the people in the second division are jumping up and down saying, well, why aren't we... You know, why aren't we considered for being in, in, in the top division, top flight, basically? Um, so you're looking then at the likes of a team like, say, Portugal, who are mm. brilliant. Uh, Georgia are very good at the Rugby World Cup. Uruguay are good. Um, you know, Tonga, Samoa, uh, people like that. You know, so they, they'll feel aggrieved because there's no promotion or relegation until 2030. But in the art of trying to get everything in line, there has to be compromise. And that's the, that's the, that's the reality about it. So that's that competition. Um, and it will it will fall into the window. There are two international windows at the moment. One is in July, and the other is November. Um, so teams will play within those two windows. Then basically, now I I don't know the minutia of how many away games that will be or how many home games that will be. But mm. I would imagine that a country like uh, say Ireland, for example, let's be parochial for a second, would would travel to the southern hemisphere and play three matches in July. And then they may play another three games in November. So I mean, you could, you could be, you know, going from Australia to New Zealand, which is easy to do. That's only two and a bit, three hours. Mm. But then you might have, you know, a game against uh, South Africa. You might have a game against Argentina. Or I, I don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. But li- literally, that's that's that. Uh, so that's the Nations Championship one. Um, I'm not sure if you asked me about the Rugby World Cup. The Rugby World Cup is expanding. Uh, the next one is in. Um, Australia in 2027, and that will be uh, expanded to 24 teams. Um, they've pushed the the start date out for that to the start of October uh, to run until uh, I don't know what the completion date is, sometime in November. But it'll be much uh, better weather. Australia is a lovely country to visit uh, for those who've had a good fortune to be there. Uh, it's a nicer time of the year to get there as well. Uh, that'll make that more competitive. But the most important thing of the entire lot, as far as I'm concerned is that the pool draw for the 27 uh, Rugby World Cup will take place in January 2026, um, which, you know, is still a a little bit out, but it's not 1,000 days out like uh, the old Frenchies did where I came back to bite them and you know where um, on on, on this particular occasion. So that's that's kind of everything in a nutshell, I think. So effectively, Michael, they will do away with what would have been a summer tour. Ireland were yeah, in yeah. New Zealand and do away with the autumn internationals and make them into competitive games. Exactly, or yeah, something? yeah. That's that's what will happen, Ruby. Yeah, yeah. So Ireland will still travel. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so like yeah. you'd still be, say, for example, I was in New Zealand uh, last year for a three-test tour there. So they'll be gone, um, and you'll travel to that part of the world and play play. I would imagine three games, um, and then they'll go towards um, to towards a, a league system, um, and then you know the, the opposite will be the case then, where the teams that that, that have travelled will come up uh, to this part of the world and make those games more competitive. Basically, that's the whole the whole idea. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, I've been I was in New Zealand last year. There were ultra competitive games. Um, you know, I've been to South Africa. Uh, sometimes what they tended to do is put in two hard matches against away uh, you know when you travel away and then there might be a match against a tier 2 team as a kind of a warm up game for want of a better phrase but they were you know we can dress them up and say that they were competitive in the whole business or whatever they're very valuable that's the reality about it but um, they haven't been as, as competitive maybe as they should have been So what have Bill Beaumont and Co 
done to make, to bridge the gap between the Tier 2 and the Tier 1 nations with these competitions? Well, what they'll do is, obviously there's a second division um, in, in this. We're concentrating in terms of this conversation. I was concentrating on the, the top division. So the, the exact same thing will happen the likes of teams who don't make it into the top division. So the teams are in Division 2. The likes of Georgia, who are a very, very good team, it would be fantastic to see a team like Portugal, who were brilliant when they beat um, Fiji during the course of the World Cup, giving them more exposure to teams at their own level initially, um, you know, and also uh, you know playing more, more games, more meaningful games for them against the teams, you know, the likes of kind of Romania, maybe Japan if they don't make it, uh, the USA, Canada. Teams like that, um, you know, gives them it gives them more competitive, more exposure to to um, top level games, and that can only benefit them in, in in the long run. So it would ensure, for example, that you know, I don't know, Ruby, if you saw on social media the scenes uh, when Portugal arrived back into Lisbon uh, yeah. for the team, uh, like there were thousands of people there. It wasn't to welcome home the soccer team; it was welcome to welcome home the rugby team. You know, I mean, the captain was a dentist, still practicing a dentist in Lisbon, probably. Probably just finished work for the day, taking uh, you know, or he's polishing somebody's tooth at this at this hour of the evening. Um, you know, so I mean, it'll give them more exposure to, to to play at the top level, and that can only benefit. That can, it'll certainly it'll certainly benefit the. Um, I don't want to call them the weaker teams, but it'll certainly benefit the teams who are in um, in in the uh, second division. So, I'm assuming like this also coincided with the launch of a new annual expanded. Pacific, uh, Pacific Nations Cup yeah. with, with Canada, Fiji, Japan, uh, Samoa, Tonga and, and the USA. So the end goal here is to make everyone more competitive and that's obviously what the, the expansion of the World Cup yeah. is going so, to be. So we, we, I, I, I would imagine what they're trying to avoid, which isn't possible sometimes, is 85-0 or 110-6 or scorelines like that at, say, a Rugby World Cup in 2027 in Australia just to make it, to, to kind of... It's, it's not going to close the gap. That's not going to happen. I mean, they're not going to yeah, jump from... It's too much too soon. I think so. I think it is, yeah. I mean, again, I, I hate talking about all these dates that far ahead. Uh, 2031 yeah. World Cup in the USA may be a more... Uh, a, a better way to judge how all of this operates, basically, to be fair about it. But I, I certainly would... I would be delighted to see a team like Fiji play more international matches. I'd be delighted to see a team like Japan who beat Ireland only four years ago in Shizuoka. Mm. I'd like to see them play the All Blacks. You know, for you know, for example, I'd like to see a team a team like Fiji playing South Africa or, or Australia. I'd fancy them to beat Australia. Yeah, you know that you know that type of thing. I'd mm. like to see Ireland play. Now Ireland have played that, those those teams. Ireland did. I was fortunate enough to be in a tour with Ireland in two thousand and three when we went to uh, Perth and Western Australia, and we went to um, Tonga and Samoa as well. And that's. That's that. They were two fantastic um, experiences from my point of view. So I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see a lot more of that. But I'd like to see those nations play against the tier one nations. Some of them have a bit of a sniffy attitude about playing tier two teams. Uh, some teams in the top division who will be in the top division. My understanding is that some of them didn't want any relegation. Um, I can imagine who they might be. If uh, and I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to say who they might be, but I can imagine there are teams... Teams who, that might be running scared. Who might be, if you look at the Six Nations Championship and teams who might be in the uh, bottom echelons of the Six Nations, and yeah. then they look at, we'll say, four teams coming in from the Rugby Championship, and you'll go, whoa. Well, does wonder. this save them, though? Because, like, would they be concerned with a promotion it, relegation of the it, Six it, Nations? It, that it, it will put off the inevitable for... 
um, you know, for four years. But it'll, it'll save them short term, but it's not going to save them long term. That's the reality. And it's up to them to come up to the plate. You know, there's only so much World Rugby can do. They're providing the competition. Um, they're providing the financial support to help even the tour, tier two nations, uh, you know, with coaching, with refereeing and everything like that. Like, so, um, you know, it's up to everybody to get their own act together, basically. Mm. Just to update our listeners on the Galatasaray Bayern Munich matches, 1-1, Maro Cardi equalised um, for Galatasaray from the penalty spot there. So 1-1, 30 minutes played in that one. Not so bad. Michael, this morning or some stage today, you had the pleasure of talking to Dan Carter, which I'm sure is a pleasure. A legend like him. And I believe we have some with the play now. We do, we do. But before, we have to give it the plug. We have to give it the full sell, Ruby. The big, the big sell. The big sell. Yeah, we'll go at that part, Jim. Yeah. Well... World Cup winning All Black legend and ISPS Handa ambassador Dan Carter was in Dublin today as Golf Ireland and ISPS Handa announced a new partnership to grow participation in Ireland for golfers with a disability. ISPS Handa will become the title sponsor of the Irish Open for golfers with a disability and, of course, will be lead partner of Golf Ireland's Golf for All programmes. And earlier, as Ruby Walsh just alluded to, Michael Corkin caught up with All Black legend Dan Carter and will join the conversation as they look ahead at the Rugby World Cup final. Game on. Rugby. Uh, Dan, the week of a, a Rugby World Cup final from a New Zealand point of view, is this the most exciting week in the life of anybody from New Zealand, whether you're a player, a fan, or just somebody who doesn't know anything about rugby? <laughs> Definitely a fan. Um, but, but a fan that knows how important a week like this is. Uh, the pinnacle for any rugby player is, is to play in a Rugby World Cup uh, final and you know, before the tournament uh, I don't think many New Zealanders would have thought that uh, the All Blacks would have been here but having worked with the team this year I knew that, that they believed and, and that self-belief has, has really got them through. They're playing some really accurate clinical rugby at, at the right time of the tournament so really excited to, to sit back and, and, and see how they go. It's interesting, actually, like in the build-up to the World Cup, you know, there was a lot of criticism of Ian Foster and Sam Cain as individuals and them as leaders of the team. But, you know, everybody just, you know, people had faith in them and they've, 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 they're in a final for, for the right reasons this weekend. Well, they had um, faith in themselves. And, you know, when you're under uh, the spotlight and, and under a lot of, you know, public and, and media scrutiny, you can go one or two ways. You can believe, you know, what you're reading and, and, and hearing or you can... Uh, galvanise and, and unite as a team and that's exactly what the All Blacks have done you know the, the, uh, it's very rare that the All Blacks go into a World Cup uh, not as you know one of the favourites and, and this World Cup was exactly that and, and they've proved a lot of people wrong so they should be really proud of what they've achieved but it doesn't mean anything and at least they get the job done this weekend Only four teams have won the Webb Ellis Trophy two of them have won it on three occasions both teams are in the final this weekend you know we know rugby is a game of inches so what, what are the going to be the real vital things this coming Saturday yeah two powerhouses of, of world rugby up against each other two teams that know each other extremely uh, well uh, which makes it um, it's going to be a, a brutal hmm. uh, competition uh, one of really small inches often big games like this come down to a couple of really defining uh, moments uh, you know for the All Blacks we really need to to at least match the, the physicality of the spring box and have real accuracy at set-piece time. So, um, you know, really strong scrum, really accurate line-out and really strong and accurate at the breakdown. If the All Blacks can do that, then they can start to, to put the spring box under a bit of pressure with their attacking game, but then being really clinical and accurate in that last sort of 10, 15 minutes mm. when the pressure is really going to be on both teams. It's the team that uh, is clinical and, and accurate um, in those final stages of the game because it, it 
it will be a really close encounter. You've been fortunate enough to win it on two occasions. Um, I mean, it's a mental game as well, really, to be fair, isn't it? Um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for everybody. Yeah, it is. You know, big games like this um, is, you know, what team is able to, to handle the pressure um, better, better than the other one. And, and so a lot of work goes involved in, in working on, on the players' mental strength, maybe making sure that they're able to, to execute, perform and communicate uh, under you know, huge amounts of, of pressure because that's exactly what, what's going to be uh, happening this weekend and, and making sure they just focus on the process, uh, not get uh, too fixated on, on the outcome and um, you know, what could potentially happen or, or a mistake that might have they, they just made. So making sure that they stay really pro- process focused is, is key to, to getting them over the line this week. Game on. Rugby. Execute, perform and communicate. Michael Cochran, which of these two sides will be able to do that better at the weekend? I actually wrote down two words here while uh, Dan Carter was talking and uh, the two words I wrote down are energy levels. And if you can, if you look at um, last weekend, uh, the two semi-finals, two contrasting matches, uh, New Zealand with a really big win over Argentina without really having to get out of third gear with the greatest respect to my Argentinian friends uh, and able to take their main players off early in the match because it was done and dusted so they didn't use up an awful lot of energy uh, in terms of that uh, contrast that with the match the second semi-final between South Africa and England where England almost won, they didn't South Africa almost lost it and had to go to the well so often and just the emotional and physical energy they had to put into that game without playing well and I don't think South Africa played well and I just have a f- I, I, I have fancied South Africa all the way through this competition for to win it I'm just concerned from their point of view that their energy level is beginning to dip at the wrong time and I think contrasting that that New Zealand's energy level, level is beginning to increase so provided there's nothing untoward happens during the course of the game I'm delighted Wayne Barnes is refereeing it by the way um, why? Uh, I think he's the best referee in in, um, in in the world at the moment. That's the that's the reality about me. He has a real empathy for the game, and will com- communicate that with the players. I think he's an excellent referee. No issue with him yeah. being and no, no Th- issue. That wasn't trying to catch you out. I'm always no, interested. No, to see the, no, no the I, different I just takes. think I think he's the best referee, head and shoulders above everybody. You know, Jaco yeah. um, Piper is good, but he's injured. Plus, he's also South African, so he couldn't he couldn't referee the match. But I think Wayne Barnes deserves a, a rattle off this one, basically. And provided like there's nobody sent off or anything like that. Or whatever um, I, I I think the New Zealand energy level may be, may be uh, bigger there's a huge carrot like they've both won it three times only four teams have won it in the nine occasions I, I'm I've a, I'm changing my mind I think New Zealand are going to win this one Michael this is your absolute passion rugby you've yeah. commentated on so many games in this rugby world cup you're speaking about referees how do you feel about the use of the TMO in this world cup compared to where it was in rugby to where it is now it's something that can be tweaked all the time, Ruby, and I'm not sure they've got it 100% right. I mean, we used to have a situation, I'd say we, uh, there used to be a situation years back where the TMO was in for everything. And we had, I remember doing a match, I don't know, was it last November or, or when, but the first half of the match, like the match is supposed to be 40 minutes, it lasted well over an hour. Um, like we were almost sending out for food parcels kind of towards the end of the game, it was running so late, uh, because there's so much interference there, basically. But at the end of the day, the assistant referee and the television match official can give the referee their opinion. But that's all it is. It's an opinion. It still has to fall to the common sense of a match referee whether 
there's going to be, you know, whether whether to, to make the final decision, I guess, really, that's the point. I mean, I saw a game last weekend between Glasgow and Leinster in the uh, United Rugby Championship and the television match official, uh, I, I thought it was quite clear that Liam Turner for Leinster scored a try late in the game. It looked as if um, one of the Glasgow players had held his legs up over the line, therefore preventing him from going into touch. And I, I I thought it was pretty conclusive, I have to say, to be fair about it. And I was astonished when it was ruled out, you know, on the you know be, between the referee and the television match official. And that uh, referee on that occasion was at the Rugby World Cup as an assistant referee. So, uh, look, I mean, it's something it's something that needs to, to it's it's an ongoing ongoing problem refereeing at the top level I wouldn't do it for love nor money and that's and I know some of the referees personally really well and I know they put a huge amount of effort into it nobody goes out to make a mistake but I think common sense has to has to um, has to prevail and I think that's that's something that um, that World Rugby are going to have to look at if they're looking at dragging up the standards of the teams getting teams to play at the highest level I think everybody has to perform at the highest level that includes the match officials and if they don't I think there has to be consequences Okay, good stuff. It's a very um, interesting point, and hopefully we do get a, a classic. Will we get a classic? I hope we do, music? and yeah. I tell you what, I'm hoping it goes to extra time as well. You know, yeah. get the um, most out of it. I, I hope it doesn't go to penalties, but I hope it goes to extra time. It'll be, it'll be uh, in the All Blacks' head that they were absolutely smashed by South Africa in a World Cup warm-up game. Um, Scott Barrett was sent off in that match in, in August, and it was mm. kind of very lopsided view to the to the score but it would be rather bizarre I mean if you look at it from an Irish point of view you know if so if, if New Zealand win uh, they're the team who beat Ireland in the quarter final if South Africa win Ireland would be the only team who beat South Africa at the Rugby World Cup you know what I mean so yeah, we're kind yeah. of we're sitting back in the armchairs with the feet up um, I can imagine the passion of the broadcasters who I'm very very fortunate to work on both sides of the fence from South Africa and New Zealand and I, I sent both of them a similar text and I just said look enjoy the occasion have a great, um, have a great commentary, and um, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope your team does as well as you want them to do, and that's about as fair as I can be, to be, to be perfectly honest. About Absolutely, it. and I'm sure as as all of us as rugby fans watching on, we will hope to enjoy it as a classic. Um, Michael Corcoran, thank you very much uh, for popping Always. into studio. Um, we are going to be chatting football next, so stick with us here in Game On Two FM. RTE Two FM. Game On Football. Now, welcome back to Game On as we turn our attention to football. We will hear from Mark Langdon and Alan Colley very shortly, but first, I'm delighted to say we're joined by former Republic of Ireland international Kevin Doyle. Kevin will be previewing tonight's Champions League action very shortly uh, because you are on uh, RT2 television duty. Kevin, uh, alongside Richie. Richie Sider. Alongside Richie. Well, alongside yeah. Richie this put evening. Put you to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we chat Champions League, um, there was news uh, this week and some big Big news regarding League of Ireland outfit Wexford FC and Reading FC. So the two clubs have linked up and you're involved. How uh, did this come about? What's oh, the situation? I'm there for the picture, obviously. <laughs> I, have a, I have a history with Reading, a great history, uh, you know, fabulous four years there. And see Wexford, um, where I live. And I was gone before Wexford, youth Wexford FC started up. But mm. um, yeah, they're doing great things and it's, they're having a great season and brilliant that to get a link up with Reading because like I grew up in Wexford obviously and most lads finish playing at 14 or 15 unless they mm. end up going up like to Dublin young lads 13, 14 have to go to Dublin three nights a week maybe it's not good for a young lad I don't think to have to do that um, and now to have this opportunity to um, 
you know, play with the local League of Ireland team and if they're going well, have the opportunity to maybe slip across to Reading and see what that's like, maybe train with them and come back or whatever. But it's a great untapped area, the South East. always has been. I was lucky, very lucky that Mick Wallace showed a great interest in soccer when I was younger there. But, but you know, that was, you know, uh, that's passed on and now lads are going back and doing that Dublin route again. And I think this is another avenue for them. It's better to stay at home. Mm. your local club play with your friends and uh, then have a fabulous club like Reading great part of the world in England they have the best facilities honestly there's not a training ground in Europe I'd say that is, is, uh, that is better than Reading's training ground fabulous stadium club is going through a bit of a dodgy spell they've had a few troublesome owners but behind the scenes the staff and the people in the offices and they're all the same people that were there when I was there so that's a great sign and um, Noel Hunt is over there sort of underage set up there from Waterford good friend of mine as well I played with so and the young lad from the south east it's a great, great, great thing for them if they if they're into football and they're good enough. Mm. That is hard on young fellas, Kevin. When you said three nights a week going to Dublin, when you're trying to combine school, homework, yeah. study, that amount of travel, that amount of training, it's hard to balance all of that. Yeah, it's 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 really tough on him. I think it's you know it's not right either. You're a young lad, 13, 14 years of age. You're growing. You're having to sit in a car two hours each way after, and you know train while you're doing that as well for a couple of hours and get home late and miss homework and. You're taking away. You're you're playing then at the weekend up in Dublin, and you're not playing with your friends. Which, you know, for me, I played with my local club till I was 16 years of age. You know, the 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 great thing is playing with your friends and a smile on your face. And and now lads in Wexford hopefully will take that opportunity and have that opportunity. It doesn't mean listen they're going to create a load of footballers, but there's been very few internationals from Wexford from a massive base of players. I think it's the biggest schoolboys league outside of Dublin in the country, so or one of the biggest. So. Um, it should help. It should help. I hope it works out. Kevin, I also read that Wexford FC had worked with Reading FC Community Trust and were looking for advice and guidance on community projects. Yeah. Can you explain that a little further? Yeah, so you get experience. Like, Reading had a great experience. When I was there, players, we'd be out, we'd be doing lots of things in the community to try help, you know, bring underprivileged children to train and give them opportunity. Soccer, football, whatever you want to call it in Ireland, it's a great sort of level of a sport. You don't have to have money to play it. You can play it. Um, yeah, anyone can play it. And usually the best players come from the poorest backgrounds. So um, Reading were great at that and getting the senior team involved and out and about. And I think Wexford just wanted advice on how they did it. Um, Wexford have great people like Gary Dempsey. I don't know if you know him. He's, he was one to push this. He'd be good friends with Noel Hunt. John Gogkin, who's got involved with Wexford FC as well. Really good man who knows the ins and outs of Wexford football really well. So people like that involved can only be a good thing. Absolutely. And it is great to see, I suppose, that those community routes that, that you mentioned there. It, it, that's what the league needs really to, to grow, that it's not just going to be about on-field benefits. And yes, there will be coaching benefits and, and see players come through the pathway in, in that regard. But to actually really get into the community and grow the club, not just for the players, but to, but to grow the whole business as such as well yeah you know getting out there you know clubs do it to help the community but it's also a benefit for them to get mm. create fans create future fans of Wexford FC um, and that's what they need you know they're doing really well in the League of Ireland the f- crowds wouldn't be fabulous out there but they're improving and all the time trying to trying to get people kids you know see my own son he's 10 or 11 want them to want to play for the mm. local League of Ireland club and, and hold them in the esteem they maybe hold uh, Premier League players and teams in yeah, absolutely. I think Wexford is one of the, the few clubs 
that had a, a jersey on on a politician in the uh, European Parliament. So yeah. that's <laughs> one of their claims to fame. But uh, yeah, they are involved in the League of Ireland playoffs, the First Division playoffs this evening. Wexford Cove and Athlone Waterford, the pitch and ferry carrier actually passed a, a pitch inspection this afternoon. So um, if you are in the Waterford or Wexford area, get down to those matches. Um, should be two crackers. And who knows? It could be. It could be a Wexford Cork playoff final if, if it all panned out yeah. former club against a native county which way would you be siding oh, if this hypothetical Jesus, situation a politician no, the, the Wexford's pitch just over the road for me you know uh, purple and gold <laughs> great time in Cork now in fairness but, um, no Wexford have had a great season I saw their first game of the season against Waterford and you'd never thought they'd be in this position now so fair juice yeah James Keddie's doing a, a magnificent yeah. job I think they're a really informed team in the league but um Okay, so that is is brilliant and hopefully it, it goes well for uh, Wexford FC and indeed Reading and it is a great link-up and hopefully it does benefit the uh, the League of Ireland club as a whole. Um, we did mention at the start, you are on RT2 television duty for the Champions League, Manchester United versus Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, should be a handy one for Man United. Oh. It's not like they have any injury concerns or anything like that, Kevin. <laughs> oh, listen, um, I did the last game and I don't know if anyone sees us in the studio afterwards. But I hope I'm not comparing Onana to Massimo Taibi tonight. Um, uh, this and the, well spoke about the million problems that Manchester United seem to have, but... On a brighter note, they've scraped through and won a couple of games. And that's what it's about in sport, winning a couple of games. They got beat by Calatasaray that night. It was an absolute disaster. They scrambled with a 2-1 win. McTominay off the bench in the 89th minute to score two goals. You wouldn't have, mm. you know, when you see him coming off the bench, you think, what is the manager doing? He's leaving two <laughs> forwards on the on there. But he knew uh, he knew something in the win, obviously, against Sheffield United weekend. Again, not pretty. Not not great football. You're wanting your strikers to score, and you're not you're relying on McTominay again, and you're right back to score a screamer. But listen, wins a win. It might breed just that bit of confidence, that turnaround to. Oh, it's been an awful start of season with everything. You know, there's a list of things there, from the goalkeeper to the injuries they have to the ownership problem. Um, it's it's just you know you could nail it on anything, but it's just a culmination of everything. And the manager's under pressure too because he's brought in a number of players now that are underperforming as well that are his signings. So. Mm. Um, but again, they got the three points in the last two games, or six points, two wins, and won't be easy tonight. Copenhagen, see their games against Bayern Munich, they were 1-0 up, and, and Munich were looking to come back and win 2-1, and they were 2-0 up against Galatasaray, and ended up drawing that one. So um, they can score goals, they're not great at the back. Listen, United at home, we shouldn't even be, be thinking about this. You know, Copenhagen, I think the, the most they've spent on the players is about three million. Mm. United spend that on you know, a monthly wage for a player. So it's... Um, it should be on paper, still should be Manchester United well able to win this, but the way they've been playing, so poor defensively, not able to score goals, it'll be an interesting game. Mm. Does Eric Tan Hag have to do a climb down and bring Jaden Sancho oh. back into the team? I think it's gone too far, Ruby, for that. I think it's just, you know, it's a case of getting to January and getting him out of there. He's waiting on to apologise, he can't climb down now. I, it's a strange one the way he criticised him in public. You know, I, I could understand him just bombing him out of squad, wasn't happy with him, and just leave it at that and say he was underperforming, he wasn't happy with him. But the fact that he came out and, Chris, uh, I suppose, spoke about his his um, habits off the pitch and not, not you know, being late for training or whatever and, and saying he needs to apologise and that hasn't happened to Hansi away back. He, you know, he's not, he didn't sign him. He was, he was underperforming before Ten Hag came. He always looked like he needed a shake to me. So much potential. He did the arm around the shoulder thing last year, gave him a month, six weeks off, and that didn't work. And I think he's gone for the other scenario this season and try to give him a kick up the backside and that hasn't worked because he, he came straight out on Twitter and lambasted the manager and he's not going to climb down and apologise so I think it's the end of the road for him so um, 
yeah, I don't think that's that's going to be a way back for Sancho. So who would you play across the back if you were Ten Hag? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the back, the back, uh, the back four at the weekend was, um, or the potential back four. They're starting back four: Wambasaka, Martinez, Varane, Shaw. That's what you would have picked at the start of the season, and. Their two centre halves were Maguire and Evans. You couldn't name the United's strongest team at the moment. Um, what it come out? You know that's because players aren't playing well. That's because players are injured. There's so many injuries there, and and you'd love to know what's been done to address that. Is it because of the age profile? Are they training too hard? Are they not fit enough? But they seem to have more injuries than any other team in the league. Um, I would go. I would keep Harry Maguire in there it's just you know he was getting blamed for everything last year that went wrong and it's shown that it wasn't his fault listen he's he man a match at the weekend yeah he played very well at the weekend um, and listen you know the lads are, the lads I've been playing instead of him haven't been exactly um, doing a great job so he's an 80 million pound player who hasn't performed well since he's come to Manchester United but maybe he's turned a corner he's kept his head down he hasn't you know thrown his toys out of him he's still in the England team he, uh, maybe you know, maybe they'll start to figure out him and get the best out of Maguire, but they have no no choice at the moment. You know, they have to play him. Johnny Evans is brought in just to train with the kids, really, and and keep himself fit. And he's ended up in the in the first team. Lindelof, Lindelof has just hung around for the last four or five years um, and just happened to be fit. And they've been trying to get rid of him for a long time, and he's ended up um, ended up playing playing left back. It's probably the best position for him, left back, because. To me, he makes too many rash decisions as a centre half. Uh, McTominay to try to get rid of, rid of him this summer, all summer long. He was going to West Ham, and he's ended up coming in and saving the manager's bacon the last two games. So there's uh, there's a lot to talk about there. You sound excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> The good thing about Man United is we won't be stuck on air uh, for for the half hour build up or for the hour afterwards for for plenty of talking points. <laughs> <laughs> you most certainly won't. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, Kevin, you are on TV duty, as I mentioned, or T2 television from Half 7 Manchester United versus Copenhagen. Um, so very best to look at that. And uh, for those that uh, are stuck uh, at a loose end, Half 7, get involved, or T2 television. But for now, thanks very much for popping in the studio. No worries. Thanks for having me, lads. Game on. Football. Now, I do have to apologise because I did say Waterford were at home to Athlone, but if you were in the Lizzie Woolen area of Athlone, get down for the League of Ireland semi-final first division playoff. Athlone Town, Waterford at 7.45 in Wexford. Cove 7.45. I was just about to correct you on that. Well, well, we have a text in. Eugene says, heading down to Ferry Carrick Park from Leash Boys, looking forward to a great game. So that's what reminded me. Just, you know, you have to shop local, Ruby. Shop local. Uh, But there are plenty of other football stories to be chatting about. Uh, this evening, Ruby, in the company of Alan Colley and Mark Langdon, who are both on the line. Um, where shall we start? I, sad news, actually, today. Um, Everton chairman Bill Kenwright has died at the age of 78 following his battle with cancer. The club have announced in the um, past couple of hours Kenwright, who succeeded Philip Carter as chairman in 2004 after first joining the board at Goodison Park in 89, um, had a cancerous tumour removed from his liver in August. So really sad news there um, for Everton Football Club. Um, Mark Langdon, because I know they're, they're going through a takeover period at the moment and... They're they're fighting um, on the pitch as well, and and they're going well, and it's it is it's it is tr- terribly sad news. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, Bill Kenwright dedicated large part of his life to um, Everton uh, Football Club. Um, you know, did kind of I suppose 
um, you know, there have been some fans that have been um, you know, not not best pleased with maybe how things have gone in recent years, but um, it's never through a want of trying um, or commitment to the cause really um, from Bill Kenwright. There's no way he would have wanted to have seen um, you know Everton sort of go through this um, period of struggle. He absolutely um, loved the club, um, put you know heart and soul into it um, on a daily basis, and um, you know he's somebody of course that um, is going to be um, you know seriously missed in the. Um, footballing world as, as as well as elsewhere. He most certainly will. Alan Cawley sticking with the football world in the United Kingdom. Spurs have gone top. Son and Madison last night. 2-0 winners over Fulham. Were they value for it? Fantastic stuff, Ruby. Fantastic. I was glued to it last night. Um, yeah, and the momentum has carried on. Obviously, they played really well in the first half. Fulham set up and uh, like Marco Silva's teams very well organised and set up to obviously try and stop them play so it was all Spurs in the first half but they had to be patient Ruby and even in terms of just how compact the midfield area was there was an interview with James Madison after the match and he spoke about having to drop deep and that's when he was picking the passes from deep and those inverted fullbacks were getting into higher advanced positions which is something I suppose you don't see but it just goes to show uh, the, pro- the progression with Spurs and the fluency that they play with because Adogi and Paro um, are two of the most attacking players now as well which is fantastic so once they got the breakthrough with Son who's in a red hot vein of form um, they were so dominant really it got a bit sloppy in the second half but he did make a few changes obviously because they have one eye on the game Friday night against Crystal Palace but that's the big thing I suppose with them the, the conversation that has broken out now Ruby in the sense that could they do it uh, we're only nine games in it's the best record of any manager ever in the Premier League after nine games with Postacoglu picking up 23 points I think I suppose the negative side of of seeing them as potential champions is just they don't have the squad depth and you could kind of see that last night when he made a couple of substitutions as well the likes of Skip and these fellas coming on Um, but Ben Tencore is due to come back that's a major positive in a couple of weeks as well I thought Hoiberg played really well uh, instead of Basuma but Basuma will be his main man so that strengthens the midfield area as well when Ben Tencore comes back and I suppose the one big positive if you were to look at maybe a potential title challenge uh, compares to the other teams up there they have no European football eh? and that's a massive plus as well Ruby because they don't have the distractions of obviously the midweek games like most most teams that will be in Europe so there's two ways of looking at it I don't think they'll win the league but I'd love to see them stay where they are for as long as possible because he's done an unbelievable job and they play fantastic football Mark you were in North London last night what do Spurs fans think? I think um, everybody's just excited, really, that, that they're watching a you know a progressive team um, once again. I don't think anybody is seriously talking about the title. It's being um, sort of referenced almost jokingly. Um, you know, we can't win it, but maybe we can type thing. And I, I I think that that's you know about right, really. I don't think that they will win the league. I think. Yeah, you know, if they can qualify for the Champions League and they've given themselves a really big opportunity to do just that, then you know that's really what the target I think will will be kind of you know for most Spurs fans. If they finish in the top four playing this brand of football, I think everybody will be happy come the end of the season. Obviously, you know if they're still up there in I don't know around Christmas time, then you would have to say um, you know what why can't they carry on? But um, we also need to be fair and say that the schedule has been. Um, sort of on the kinder side than what it has maybe been to some other teams. So there's some tough tests um, coming up, and if they come through them, then then maybe we can. But I think most fans are just happy that they're seeing a progressive football team again. 
It's been a long time coming for Spurs fans to see some progressive football, but however, um, Champions League this evening. So halftime scores: Galatasaray one, Bayern Munich one, and Inter Milan one. FC Salzburg nil in the early kickoffs. We were speaking to Kevin Doyle earlier in the Manchester United match. So Mark Langdon, what are you most looking forward to besides those matches? What's the hipsters' choice this evening? <laughs> I suppose the hipsters' one is probably um, Napoli's um, away game um, to Union um, Berlin. Um, you know, Napoli are a, um, a, a, an attractive team to watch, probably not as good as what they were um, last season, um, just because of the change of manager, Spalletti leaving, um, and, and kind of things have just fallen down there. But, you know, they are still a very watchable um, team. And Union, a side that really shouldn't be in the Champions League, when you look at the size of the club, um, you know, they are, are not at uh, Champions League level at all. They've, they've made some interesting signings over the summer, the likes of uh, Leonardo Benucci um, coming to try to bring them some experience, but they found it quite tough, really, um, at, at Champions League level, which is no surprise, but I think just the fact that they're in it uh, without being too condescending to them is a, is a big deal. So I'm um, interested to see how um, they get on in that game. So that, that might be the uh, hipster's choice, although um, <laughs> the, the Man United versus Copenhagen game is, is a real big one as well. It most certainly is, but Alan Cawley, the other English side in action tonight, our Arsenal there in Sevilla. A win and a loss so far for Arsenal. How will tonight go? Yeah, it'll be a tough one, Ruby. Um, Sevilla themselves have obviously picked up two draws so far in their, their games, but obviously a very good team and away from home as well. And this is, I suppose, the nature of um, elite-level teams and when you're challenging on all fronts because Arsenal are just coming off the back of that draw Saturday and here they are away travelling again now and obviously playing the game against Sevilla tonight away from home. So um, they do need to pick up, obviously, the, the disappointment of the the match against Lance and so I suppose they're sitting on four points now Lance Arsenal on three so they will need to pick up something but certainly in the group from what I've seen so far I think Arsenal will come through the group and they'll be alright for the knockout stages Mark we're a bit tight in time but in a word Madrid will beat Braga will they? Uh, yes they will Lance PSV? Uh, draw Draw and Benfica Real Sociedad 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 Mark Langdon, thanks a million. Alan Colley, thank you very much. Shane Dawson. Yes. Thanks, Cheers, gentlemen. Um, before we do, <coughs> excuse me, before we do take a break, uh, we're going to hear from Jamie Finn, Ruby, because Jamie Finn admits that uh, she was heartbroken not to have been selected for the World Cup in the summer. Of course, she travelled as a, a standby player, but she's back in the Ireland squad and the build-up continues for the Nations League matches uh, against Albania this Friday and indeed next Tuesday, both live here on Game On 2FM. So here is former Shelburne star Jamie Finn with Tony O'Donoghue. Jamie, from a, a Republic of Ireland point of view, a, a terrific start to the group. Um, looking forward to these two games against Albania now? Yeah, as you said, it was a great start for us. Um, great performances in those two games, and I think it's just important now to bring that momentum into these two games. From your point of view, the, like the World Cup was such a heartache in a way, and yet you did make the trip. How was that? Yeah, that, that was a weird weird situation to be in. Um, obviously, anyone who knows me knows I'm so proud to be Irish and wear the green jersey. So, yeah, it was a... It was a shock. Um, obviously, I was heartbroken not to be selected, but I think I had to. I had to put the team first, and obviously went over to Australia and, yeah, just helped the team in any way I can, training, team, um, team meetings and stuff. But yeah, obviously, it was it was very tough for me. Is it is it almost more difficult than, you know, the disappointment of not making the the, the final cut, and yet you're still there among them? 
Yeah, and that's obviously what I had to try deal with over there. It was tough. It was very tough, obviously. Um, uh, but yeah, I just had to get on with it really and try help the team as best I could. And I think I've done that. Now, new campaign though. Um, Eileen as interim manager, new manager to come as well. But um, what are you hoping for from a personal point of view over this ca- over this next two games and in general with the Nations League? Yeah, for me personally, I think it's just uh, giving 100% in camp and, and seeing if I can get on the pitch. I think, like as I said, I'm so proud to be Irish and wearing the green jersey is, yeah, it's, it's a dream every single time. It's never taken for granted. So I think for me, I just need to push on with that. And obviously as a team, yeah, we just need results and good performances. Game on. Hurley. Hey, you're very welcome back to the final part of Game On. Bally Gunner Hurler, Porrick Mahoney is standing by, but before we chat to Porrick, the team news from Manchester United is in two chains as Raphael Varane and Sergio Regulon are into the starting 11. Johnny Evans and Victor Lindelof uh, drop out. So it's Onana, Amrabat, Maguire, Fernandes, Rashford, Hoyland, Regulon, Varane, Dallo, Anthony, McTominay as listed on the Manchester United social medias. However, as a Liverpool fan, Porrick Mahoney, I'm sure you have no interest in that news. No, not, not tonight, I need Shane. Um, folks more on Thursday night football now, so um, hopefully we'll be back there next year, all right? But we'll have to settle for Thursdays for now, anyway. For now, for now. You never know what might happen. Um, but you are here. We're going to chat um, hurling uh, to mark the launch of the AIBGA All-Ireland Club Championships. Um, listen, obviously, it's a, it's a bit of a, a new era for, for yourself since you stepped away from, from Waterford now. Has it been different knowing that it's just all about Ballygunner, all about the club now? Ah, yeah, it has, I suppose, Shane. You know, you have a lot more time to kind of plan other things in your life and you're not kind of tied down to the one schedule. You can kind of put your own kind of structures in place. So, And obviously, with Bally Gunner, it's been kind of pretty much full on. It's probably, I suppose, early July, but at least you can kind of time your run where you kind of don't need to be coming to, towards your peak um, till maybe, you know, mid to end of August. Whilst I suppose with the Inter-County game, you're trying to come, kind of come up and come, come down as twice in the one year to get ready for the club season and also for the inter-county season so definitely been a bit easier this year to um, plan in terms of getting the body and everyone right How was it watching Waterford though in the springtime? Yeah it's tough Ruby I suppose you know um, initially you kind of you, when you're up in Turles there for the first round against Limerick you're kind of looking out onto the pitch you know it was a lovely summer at Dane you say geez have I done the right thing here but I suppose when you when you reflect on it, it's kind of the work that you have to put in and the sacrifice that you have to make. You know, it's it's pretty much twenty four seven at inter county inter county level now. So I suppose that side of it, um, I just knew mentally and physically that I didn't have to give. So it made it a bit easier then when it comes to watching the games, kind of knowing that I suppose you know back in October November when I would have had a couple of conversations with David before obviously making the decision um, we would have kind of talked through the, the, you know his plans for the year for the year and where he would have seen me maybe fitting into it and it was all kind of pretty much appealing and then obviously come January when I had to make the call it was just I just knew in my gut that my time was done so I'm very content with the decision I have to say That's it though isn't it the 10% of the match is what you'll always miss but it's the 90% of getting ready that you want yeah, and I don't. I think that's probably the part that people don't see, and you know, any oh, know. people are on the street. <laughs> they're they're kind of saying to me, you know, Jesus, you're you're only thirty years of age, and you're calling a day. But I suppose between miles and the clock, and maybe a few injuries along the way, and you know, obviously Ballygunner going well, where maybe we didn't have that kind of window where you might have having six or eight weeks, you know, uh, to kind of completely down to switch off, you know, over over the winter. We we didn't have that the last couple of years, so maybe that was a factor too in the decision, but. 
I suppose ultimately once you kind of start, once you move to the other side of the, of the fence, you kind of switch straight away into supporter mode. And I suppose I was that way before. I was doing Walford and happy to kind of continue on now and follow follow the lads. How much are the demands of an intercounty hurler gone up from when when you started? Like, is there a fear that we're going to reach breaking point at some some point? I suppose it's hard to know. Like, there's only a certain amount of days in the week that you can train the body. So I suppose it's still. You know, from from when I went in there in 2011 with, with Watford, it was three days of retraining and a couple of gym sessions, and it's probably no different than that now. But I think it's the kind of the mental side is obviously has gone to a new level, and every decision you probably make outside of the hurling fields, you know, has some sort of an impact on what you do on the hurling field. So it's kind of it really is kind of has to be our priority, and I think you know nowadays if you can't give that hundred percent you're probably you know and you're say if you're at 80 or 90% you're probably doing yourself an injustice but also you're doing your teammates and, and the management and so I suppose from for myself I knew 100% wasn't possible so I was happy to kind of uh, call it a day at that Supporters, fans advocates of the game probably have their issues with a split season but as a player who's been on both sides of it county and club do you think this split season is the right idea? Well first of all Ruby I don't know what the other solution will be if it wasn't a split season because obviously the GA knew they had to do something and if you look at it from a club player's perspective and from a selfish point of view I think it works because now kind of on the other side because I, I, as I said we probably didn't go back training with Bally Gunner until probably you know mid to end of April so there was definitely four or five months there where you're completely switched off away from her and you know do other things and, and why not but I suppose for the, for the small percentage that are playing club and are playing inter-county that's probably where the issue lies now. Um, you know, it's not ideal for them where they're probably only getting a week or two breaks, you know, mid-season and then they're, they're going from one to the other and, you know, I think that ultimately that's maybe a, a big factor into why players maybe are starting to call it a day at inter-county level um, that bit sooner than, than previously. It's because the clubs are constantly raising the standards and they're looking at inter-county set-ups and they're looking what they're doing and they're saying, right, let's try and replicate that and, I think that's probably where it's becoming um, unsustainable. But back to your question, or to your point, I suppose, you know, I don't know what the alternative is, but I, I certainly do know when you're playing matches week on week at club level, it, it can be tricky if you do pick up a little niggle or an injury here, you know, before you know it, you're after missing your whole season and you haven't poked the ball all year. So it's kind of trying to find a balance between, um, you know, when it starts and when it finishes. I think ultimately... The, the, it's probably a little bit more detail needs to go into that in terms of planning but again there's no magic fix Well ye are planning for Sarsfields on November 5th in uh, Welsh Park um, like listen it's obviously a well known story of Bally Gunner like what, what's driving you at the moment and what's spurring you on and what, what like how difficult is it keeping it fresh as well Yeah I suppose you know over the last couple of years obviously we've had a bit of success when we got to the Monster Championship and uh, we've had we we've we've been off for the last six weeks now. And we've another two weeks to go. So I suppose in one sense it's kind of it's nice to be able to at the start of the year kind of you can set a target at point to win the county title. And once you if you accomplish that, then you can kind of take a break for a couple of weeks, which we done, and um, set some new targets. So you're not kind of look, having to look too far out um, into the season. So over the last number of number of I suppose six weeks, we've been kind of almost going back into a little bit of a pre-season block, but. Also, from an S and C perspective, and even from our coaches, you know, keeping things fresh, changing it up every night, new ideas, and constantly challenging the players. And 
and that's been key. Plus, then the younger lads coming into it as well. You know, 17, 18, 19 year olds coming into whether it's just to make up numbers for internal games or whether it's lads pushing to get into the 26, things like that. I think that kind of spurs the older lads on and. Ultimately, right now, we probably have a decent mix between the youth and the experience, which may, may be standing stand to us. Good stuff. Well, listen, Park, unfortunately, we have run out of time, but best of luck, uh, as I mentioned, against Sarsfield and in the Munster um, Club Championship because there are some going to be some cracking matches in there, no doubt. Um, Park Martin, thank you very much. Ruby, Sinead, that is all we have time for. Thank you, Shane Dawson. No problem at all. Thank Enjoy you. Enjoy the rest of your week. I will indeed. Uh, Game On is back. I'll be back 6 o'clock tomorrow. Better the Silva is up next on 2FM, so do stay tuned here. Uh, and we'll chat to you tomorrow from 6 from all of the Game On team. It is bye for now.